we are on a, we're on a series called the, uh, the Culture of the King. Say that with me. The Culture of the King. Can we stand? I wonder, we're going re- to read each time the Lord's Prayer. So if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, I'll say it slowly. But uh, it's in Matthew chapter 6, and it says this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just applaud the Lord one more time, can you? Yes. Come on, you be seated. All right, I'm going to jump in for the sake of time really quickly. Um, but I've got, uh, I'm going to just bring five aspects of the king, uh, the kingdom of God together and being and creating a kingdom culture. All right? Creating a kingdom culture. And so they all begin with C. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power... His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Watch this. Through the knowledge of him. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. You know, the more we get to know what God is like, the more we get to know him as a person, the more release of his divine power we will find. That's why it's so important that we know that God is good. That God is the healer. God is our provider. And as we sung today, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. The devil wants us to walk around sin conscious. Shame is self-rejection. But God wants us to walk around God conscious. He wants us to walk around knowing that we are sons, that we are not sinners. Knowing that that we are ambassadors of him. That we are children of the king. So important. And then we can pray with confidence. Not, oh my gosh, suddenly there's a need. I'm gonna, if I close my eyes really tight and pray really hard and confess all my sins, then suddenly there might be a little release of power rather than coming with confidence, saying that it was a finished work of the cross and he absolutely loves me right where I'm at. Isn't that great? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promises that through them they may participate. Sorry, that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. Here's my first, my first of five points today, all beginning with C. The first that I, of these characteristics, well, actually, the first one of these Cs is the word character. Everyone say character. Yeah. And there's a flip side to each. If we don't have good character, then we will have a 
crisis. It's so important that we're a people who have good character. And that is what this passage is all, all about. Peter goes on to say, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, another translation says this, says excellent characteristics. If you possess these excellent characteristics, if you yourself have excellent character with increasing measure, everyone say increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's that we're, we're talking about the culture of the king and, and creating a kingdom environment. We just prayed, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does the culture of the king looks like, look like? It looks like a people with godly character, a people that reflect his glory. His glory is his nature. It's what God is like. That's what it means to be godly. Add to your faith godliness. And the more we act like God and with unveiled faces, the world will see what he is like. And the world is desperate and in desperate need for an encounter with God. And you know what? You and me are the only God they may ever see. Because it's Christ in you. It's Christ in me that is the hope of glory. Amen. So character. Everyone say character. You know, our giftings and our callings will open doors, but our character and our attitude will close them. Our gifting and our callings will open doors, but our character and our attitude will close them. You know, your gift, a gift, a person that has a gifting says absolutely nothing about the person, only the grace of God. That's why you see people with amazing gifts and their character is atrocious. It's also why we need to be careful that we don't elevate gift where there is no character. See, we, we often look at, at giftings um, like, like a Christmas tree. We're wowed by the gifts. Oh, look how pretty it is. Look how amazing it is. But God's not interested in the gifts on the tree. He's interested in the tree trunk. He's interested in what's going on on the inside. Our gift says nothing about the person, only the grace of God. It's important that we're not wowed by gift. We need to honor it, but realize it's a, it's a gift. God's not impressed by your gift. It's a gift by virtue of the fact you got it for free for nothing. <laughs> He's not impressed by how well we know the Bible. He wrote the book. He's God. He gave us gifts. And so often we, we elevate gifts or we elevate men or men or women with gifts higher than we do the giver of the gift. And it's important that we don't do that because here's what happened when we do. When they fall, we fall. Why? Because we put them on a pedestal and we follow them all the way down and then we go down. Many Christians are dis live in disappointment because leaders let them down. But if we can learn to honor the gift, sorry, honor the giver of the gift, honor the gift, but also, but most importantly, the giver of the gift, not just the vessel. 
See, when the vessel or the wineskin fails, we often fail to realize that the wine was actually really good. The wine is good. Even if the vessel fails, the wineskin is good. Am I making my point? Character is really important. Sometimes we honor character like, like we do the postman. He comes to deliver a male, and we run after him going, dude, you're awesome. You're amazing. Thank you so much for the gift. He'd be like, dude, what? No, I'm just the delivery guy. You know, that's really is when we carry gifts from God, the giver of the gift, we are really delivery people. What's important is that we have good character. Character is so important. You know, it was Moses had an anger problem. Do you remember? He killed an Egyptian. And he fled. He was wanted for first-degree murder. And he fled for 40 years. He was in Midian with his father-in-law looking after sheep. But he had an anger problem. And God used him, despite his anger, to lead God's people. But if you watch, look at the end, of his, at the end of his ministry, he's about to go into the promised land. And God said, speak to the rock. But he struck the rock in anger. And God says, because you did that, you're not going in. In the end, we don't get away with bad character. And the enemy will exploit it where, he can, where, the, where the fallout will be the greatest. That's why we need to look at character in our own life and see, is it godly? Amen? 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 on the, with the whole conversation about David and who God would choose. It says this, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Watch this. God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. And it's man that we're trying to reach. Oh, don't, ju- don't judge me, brother. This is uh, the Lord looks at the heart. Yes, but man looks at the outward appearance. And it's man that we're trying to reach. Amen? Amen? If we take care of the depth of our character, God will take care of the breadth of our ministry. I've taught recently in different places on eldership and what is biblical eldership. You know, in the, in the list that Timothy gives, uh, sorry, Paul gives to Timothy, 19 out of the 20 characteristics and qualifications for eldership are to do with character. Only one has to do with gift, and it says he must be able to teach. Everything else is to do with character. God cares about character. He's not impressed by your gift. He gave it to you for free. That's why it's called a gift. So character, if we don't have good character, we end in crisis. There'll be a crisis. You know, Proverbs 16 verse 32 says this, it's better for a man to rule his spirit than he who takes a city. That's amazing scripture. Just think about that for a moment. This is David writing this and he says, I would rather you rule this than take a whole city for me. God says, I would rather you rule yourself. I would rather you learn to manage yourself and have good character than take a whole city for me. Because if you do, it may look good in the beginning, but it will end in crisis. We've seen this happen time and time again. Crisis. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is leaving Ephesus and he gathers the elders together and he says, look after, he says, you're never going to see me again. And I love his instruction. He says to the elders, he says, listen, watch, out, watch over yourselves and the flock of whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers because when I leave, wolves will come. As soon as I leave, wolves will come and they will start to pick and devour and eat up. It's so important that we look after ourselves. Look after you. Everyone say me. I got to look after me. Me. Okay. 
There was a, a great man named Ern Baxter, and he said this, disobedience always ends in deception, and deception always ends in delusion. Where we allow deception to come in, if you track it back, it normally starts with disobedience. We make a decision, oh, Lord, I'm, not, I'm just going to let that go. Lord, I'm going to let that in. Lord, I'm not going to keep that tightened up. God, I'm just going to just do this. And it ends in, dis, in deception. You ever met somebody, they were once so on fire for God, and you're like, what happened? And they start speaking, you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? How did you get there? It's like deception. You're not seeing, but it started with disobedience, not doing what we know that we should do. And in the end, that can end in delusion. Amen? Any leader that isn't carrying Christ on his shoulders higher than himself is no leader at all. We're going to talk about leadership tonight. If you're here, we've got the first LTP leadership training program. Some other folk in Morris are going to be coming and joining us too. And we're just going to sit and talk about not just church leadership, but leadership. Leadership, we're not, this isn't separating the secular from the spiritual, but we're going to talk about what is it to be influencers in our, in our day. Amen? Ready for the next one? I just say this as well. God spoke to this to me recently. Actually, I was, I was in the UK and I was driving along and I was facing a situation and I felt the Holy Spirit whisper this to me. You know, you know when God speaks, it makes an impression on you. You can remember where you were. I remember, oh, I remember what stoplight I was at. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, you need to know the difference between rebellion and immaturity. Because they look the same, but the root is different. And if you can find the root and find out, is it rebellion or is it immaturity, the way you handle it will be very different. I just want to say that to you because sometimes we can deal with things thinking that's just rebellion against God. But sometimes it's not rebellion. It's just immaturity. You know, we don't know what we don't know. So you can get frustrated and deal with things strongly when actually the person just doesn't know. They're just not mature in that area. Amen? All right, number two. Everyone say number two. We need to be careful, not careless. Second thing for our kingdom culture, we need to be a people that are careful, not careless. Here's the scripture I want to turn to. If you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 5, and it says this, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Be very careful. Everyone say careful. In other words, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, be full of care. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as Wise, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Be careful then how you live. Church, be careful how you live. Paul is saying to the church, be careful, be full of care. Think about how you live. Think about the decisions that you make. I love the scripture where that says, and the sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew just what to do. I'm going to talk about this a little bit tonight in leadership about how to make good decisions. I believe God's people should know how to make good decisions. So if you're an indecisive person, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What movie do you want to watch? I'm not really sure. Where do, you, where do you want to go? Vegas? Oh, I'm not really sure. You decide. Someone has to be, as leaders, we need to make decisions and make good decisions. 
We can't just fitter and about all the time. We need to be decisive. Amen. Of care. The sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew just what to do. And they knew just what to do. It's one thing to be able to understand the times. It's another thing to know what to do. So some people are going to go, I just prophetically see all these terrible things are happening and this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah, but do you know what to do? As God's people, we need to know what to do. We're going to talk about that tonight. Um, I, I've talked about this before, but you know, in Second Peter, it says, Paul says to husbands, don't speak harshly to your wife. If you do, God says, I will hinder your prayers. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I got loads more like this. Should I keep going? <laughs> in other words, if you haven't managed, be careful. We're talking about careful. Everyone say careful. If we've not learned how to be careful with that which God has given us. See, the church is his bride, right? We are the bride of Christ. A marriage is a micro picture of Christ and the church. So he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so if you speak harshly to her, that's a picture you are representing what I am like with as a husband to my church, which is the bride, and I'm not happy with that. So husbands, please don't speak harshly. If you do, I'm going to hinder your prayers. So we talk harshly to our, wife and God, well, our wives, and God goes, la, 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 not listening. He doesn't actually do that. But church, is really important that we, we realize that we be careful. We be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Be careful. This isn't in my notes, but I had the privilege of spending a lot of time with uh, Chris um, Vallotton in the, at the conference. And every day we'd have breakfast together. And one morning he started to ask about fee, and he asked it about our marriage, and he asked about our kids, and he asked about traveling, he asked about how it went when we went to Bath, and I was like, whoo, I can tell you some stories. And he was prophetically seeing some stuff, and he was just starting to pull it out of me, and he just said this. He said, I was coming back from Australia, and I'd been gone for a long time, and he said, I became overwhelmed with the love I have for my wife. And I called her from the plane and I said, honey, if you could do anything, if you weren't married to me, what would you do? And she said, but I am married to you. He said, I know. But if you weren't, what would you do? And she thought about it and he said to me, he said, Dan, he said, I meet with world leaders and we lead this great Bible school and I'm associate pastor of this church of nine, 10,000 people, and our message has gone all over the world, and I have the privilege of sitting with leaders and, and uh, prime ministers and heads of state. And, but he says, I will look at my wife sometimes, and I just see she's smiling because she loves me, but she has no interest in some of the things I'm talking about or some of the things that I've given my life to. And she answered the question. She said, if I could do anything, Chris, I would just have a horse, and I'd ride it with my friends. And at breakfast, he's just with tears coming down his face. He said, I was 52 at the time. He said, I thought, I wonder why I never thought of that before. 
Why did it never occur to me in all my life, what does my wife do, want to do? I know we're in ministry and she loves me and she loves what we do, but I never actually asked her what does she want to do and what were the dreams that were in her, in her heart. So he said, I got home and I bought her a horse. <laughs> and he said, I still, every time I stand at the kitchen window and I look out, and he said, and I see my wife riding a horse, and it's one of the greatest joys of my life to see my wife blessed and enjoying what's important to her. I wasn't planning to say that, church, but I just want to say it's really important that we're careful how we live and we keep the main thing, the main thing. It's important that we learn to listen, that we learn to listen to other people, that we learn to listen to people's hearts. You know, if we have predetermined counsel, then we'll have predetermined ears. A long time ago, I determined to, to listen to the Holy Spirit when I go into situations and counseling situations rather than having a plan when I go in because if I have a plan when I go in, then, I've already, then I have predetermined ears. I'm only listening through the lens of the decision that I've already made rather than saying, I'm going to listen with a listening ear so that I can hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Amen? So if we don't have, if we're not careful, we will be careless. It's so important that we are, aren't careless, careless with what God has given us. It's important that we celebrate who someone is rather than stumbling over who they're not. I'm going to talk about this tonight, but we look, we look for the gold in one another rather than just looking for dirt. It's easy to look for dirt. <laughs> but you know, you have to get, go through dirt to get to the gold, but the object is to get to the gold, not just to look for dirt. It's easy to look for the negative and all the things people are doing wrong and they're, not, they're falling short of, but what are they good at? That's what God is like with us. He's like he polishes diamonds and polishes different facets of who we are. This church, is our vision statement is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. That we as a people need to fulfill our dreams because that's God's heart. He made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He put dreams inside of us, and we need to fulfill those. Amen? So we need to be careful. If you don't have a dream in you, then you'll, attract, you'll attack the dream in me. <laughs> if you yourself don't have a dream, then it'll be easy for you to attack the dream in someone else. This sounds really harsh, but often little people with little vision attack big people with big vision. Don't, don't do that. Become a bigger person. That's why I think it was two weeks ago, I, my message was uh, 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 in this kingdom culture that we, a kingdom people think, do you remember? Globally, we think gloriously, and we think generationally. We think globally. We must think globally. For God so loved the world. We need to think globally, act locally, but recognize we have a God that is interested in the whole world. World. I don't believe God is that interested in geography. He's in, interested in people. And you're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the country. You're blessed when you come in. You're blessed when you go out. In other words, you are blessed. And take that blessing and be a blessing wherever you go. Amen? Amen. So we need to be careful, not care less. Don't blow out somebody else's candle so yours shines brighter. If you take your candle, you can use that candle to light other candles and the whole room will get filled with light and your candle will lose nothing. 
if we don't have a dream in us, if we haven't learned to be careful of how we live, then we will be careless. I know I've talked about this before, but what do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? You can use your power, you can use your authority to empower others, or you can use it to advance yourself. The truth is, Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus will always be the most powerful person in the room. And what he does with his power is he gives it away to us to make us look amazing, which ultimately makes him look amazing. Don't blow other people's candles out. Don't snuff them out. Don't speak badly about people. Light, let, you Take your power, take your light, and empower them to be amazing. Amen? Amen. So, number two, be careful, not careless. Number three, we need a kingdom people understand their capacity. Everyone say capacity. Otherwise, we will collapse. Otherwise, we'll collapse. This is from Matthew 25. You know the story well, so I'm not going to turn there. But it's Jesus is telling the story of the talents. And he says this, it's like a man going away on a journey and he entrusts the talents to his servants. To each one he gave according to their ability. Everyone say ability. Watch this. God gives each one of us an ability. God gives each one of us a capacity. And then he comes back to settle accounts. He will come back to settle accounts to what we did with the ability and the capacity that he gave us. One hid their talent because he was afraid. Yes? But what he should have done is exposed it and invested it. Each one, here's my point. I want to go off my point. My point is we each have a capacity. God gave each one of them to the, according to the ability that he gave them. Ability is the ability to respond. God has given each one of us the ability to respond in accordance to the measure of grace and power that he's given each one of us. And to whom much given, much would be required. So it's important that we understand our capacity. The body, Paul says, writes in Romans, he writes in Corinthians, that God has arranged the body as he sees fit. Often we don't like that. We're like, well, I, I think I should be doing this. I think I should be doing that. I'd like to be here. But it will, with what God has placed you to do and where God has called you to be in his body. And by in the body, I don't just mean in church on a Sunday morning. I mean in life itself. It's so important that we understand the measure that God has given each one of us. I call it a G-I-L, a God-imposed limitation. Each one of us has a G-I-L. Each one of us has a God-imposed limitation. We need to know what our limits are. This works in the workplace as well. I went to, I, when, we, when we went back to England the first time, my, uh, my iPhone didn't work there. So I went to an, a store and I negotiated a deal and I got this iPhone. It was the same phone and I got it a great deal and I was really happy and I went to load all my stuff into it and it didn't work. So I took it back and he said, well, that's because you had a 128 gig, the one that you had from America, and this one is only 32 gig. It doesn't have the capacity to put all the stuff that you have in that phone into that phone. And I said, well, what can we done? Can you add something to it? He said, no, it's useless. You have to get another phone that has a bigger capacity. And if you don't, then the whole phone is going to collapse. And that's what will happen. But if we know what God has called us to do, God will give us the grace to accomplish it. 
In Lamentations, I read this this morning, in Lamentations 1 verse 9, it says, she did not know her destiny and her collapse was awesome. Because she did not know her destiny, her collapse was awesome. Church, if we don't know who, what God has called us to do, and we don't have the grace, and if we know it, God will give us the grace, the measure, the capacity, the anointing to accomplish it. But if we don't know that, we'll never grow in the grace of God. And her collapse was awesome. All right. Capacity, capacity. You know, there's a saying, if you want something done, ask a busy person. I found that to be true. Because somebody who has a big measure, they're, they're too much is given, much will be required. You just throw them something else and they just do it. You throw them something else and they just do it. You throw them something. You know, I have a, a lot of uh, friends that lead companies and, um, and I, I just so enjoy being around them because they think so big. I like being around big thinking people who think about the world, who think about not just small budgets, but millions of dollars to how we can, and, and how we can change the world. I just love sitting in those meetings. I often have nothing to say, but I just feel privileged just to be in the room, just to, th- to listen how big people think. It's exciting. The other day I made a comment. I said, I don't know how I'm going to move. We just moved out of an apartment, a three-bedroom apartment where we were as a family while we were over there, um, down to just a a 500 square feet, um, one-bedroom apartment. So we've just got somewhere to land um, whenever we're in and out. And there was a lap time between when the lease finished on the big apartment to when we could move into the other apartment. And so I was kind of muttering to myself, this is going to be expensive. And and, uh, this first businessman said, um, he said, oh, no problem, Dan. He said, uh, I'll just send a crew down from the Midlands, um, from my company. They'll come and pack up all your stuff, put it in a, in a van, drive it back, um, and just tell me when you're ready, and they'll bring it all back and unload, and we'll do it for free. I'm like, what? I'm like, I just love how you think. This is amazing. Oh, no biggie deal. Did it. I said, we'll see if it actually happens. Did it. I'm on the plane. All done. No big deal. Like, Another friend of mine who's a businessman there, um, who I've known most of my life since I was a little boy. In fact, he's, they're coming as a family here. You'll see them in a few weeks. Um, he said, well, why don't you just ship it back, some of the stuff back to the States? And I said, well, that's expensive. He says, no, I have my shipping company. Not my company will ship. It does it ships three times a year to Racine. I looked on the, online. Racine, Wisconsin is only about an hour and 15 minutes. So just I'll pick all your stuff up that you want to send over there, and I'll put it in a shipping container. There'll be, there's always a little bit room, room left over, and we'll ship it over for you. I'm like, this is great. These people are busy. But we'll just take, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Capacity. But can I just suggest to you, church, that we all can grow in capacity? Uh, oh, I just feel really tired. Millennials. Hello. Okay, I'm going to go off millennials. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> Whew. Okay. Um, all right. You know, I, I've used this as an illustration before, but uh, of a water bottle. If the water bottle is full, if I had a water bottle here, if it's full and I put pressure on the outside, I cannot crush that bottle with all my might. I can't explode it. But if the water bottle is empty and I push it, it will collapse. 
Church, it's really important that we're full of the Holy Spirit, that we're full of the, we're living in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says, and we just live full. Be full of the Spirit. With Timothy, if you read the word full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, then, then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's something that happened with Stephen when he was stoned that God himself stood up. There's something that happens when we are full of the Holy Spirit. There's a confidence that comes upon us. Sometimes we just need to sit and just get full of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to leave until you touch me. Holy Spirit, I'm not going to leave this place until you speak to me. That we can live full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? If not, then we will collapse. You know, we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. A thermostat, I'm looking at one at the back of the room, is a device, this is the, div- this is the dictionary definition of a thermostat. It's a device that's purpose is to set and maintain a desired temperature. That's what a thermostat does. A thermometer just takes the temperature. It's like the sons of Issachar. Oh, I don't agree with that. I just, I understand because I'm prophetic. I can see what's going on. Yeah, but do you know what to do? Because if we know what to do, we don't just take the temperature, but we then set the temperature. We are atmosphere changers. God wants us to change atmospheres. Amen. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, number four. Oh, I've got to go fast. Number four. Um, comf- here's, the, here's another, um, the number four, the fourth thing we're going to talk about today. Culture, characteristic of a kingdom culture is that we must be a people. You ready, guys, at the back? F- who uh, understand, who are confidential because if we're not confidential, it breaks down confidence. Everybody say that with me. Confidential. Confidence. You know, if you think about it for the moment, the people that you trust the most in your life are people who are confidential. Is that true? I feel safe with that person. I could tell that person anything and I know they would never repeat it. I believe that in the church, that we as a kingdom culture, this is so important that for confidentiality, that we build a place that is safe. It creates a culture of safety. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says this. Watch this. Listen carefully. The Bible says, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Ah, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Here it is, church. If someone tells you something in confidence, do not tell anybody else. Because if you do, you will break down their confidence in you. Amen? This is, I know this is a very simple thing, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of them. To, to, to look at what does it mean to, for it to be confidential? You know, this is, and I'm just going to read these, these, these scriptures to you. Um, and these put the fear of God in me. But James says this, warn a divisive person once, then twice, then put him out of the church and have nothing to do with them. Ah! That's crazy. Wow. James was written to new believers. The book of James was. And James here is saying, hey, listen, don't allow divisiveness in the church. Do not allow it. 
in Proverbs, it says this, there are six things that God hates and there's one that is detestable to him. Watch this. And it's he who stirs, everyone say stirs, stirs up dissension amongst the brethren. I was in a, in a situation recently with England and I just put my hand out and I just put my hand on the person's hand and I said, stop stirring. They went, what, what do you mean? I said, you're stirring something. Stop it. They were like, whoa. And I said, listen, I don't want to do this, but I'm warning you, don't be divisive. This is the only time, says, that, that God in this, in this language uses this, this same language to have nothing to do with them. God hates it so much. Listen, I, know I don't want it to get heavy in here, but be, my point is, in this culture, the culture of the king, confidentiality is really, really important. Have you ever heard someone's talking badly about someone else? And in your mind, you're thinking, note to self, <laughs> I wonder what they say about me. What's happened? You've just lost confidence in them because if they would talk to somebody else like that, you don't, you know, then what do they say about me? And if I tell them something confidential, will they tell somebody else? And it breaks down confidence. Amen? So really important, really, really simple. Um, if you didn't hear it with your own ears and you didn't see it with your own eyes, then don't speak it with your big mouth. You can tweet that. <laughs> if you didn't hear it with your own eye, ears and you didn't see it with your own eyes, then don't speak it with your big mouth. You know, I, I've got, I'm developing a message right now called Drop Your Rock. I don't have time to go into it, but it's the, it's, uh, this brought me to my, to my knees just in tears, just seeing into the story of the woman caught in adultery. And many theologians talk about how, what it was that Jesus is writing on the ground. Some say, well, he must have been writing this. Something's, but you know what the truth is? I don't know and you don't know what he was writing in the sand. Because <laughs> the Bible does not tell us. But I'll just give you a sneak preview into this. What I love about that part is whatever he wrote, it caused everybody, to all the accusers, to walk away from the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And they went one by one, they left, the, starting with the oldest. And what I love most of all about that story is Jesus decide, decided not to let you or me know what he wrote in the sand. And one by one, they dropped their rock. Matthew 18 says, if your brother wrongs you, go to him, just the two of you. If he hears you, you won your brother. Jesus would be a hypocrite if he didn't live by the same principle. If your brother wrongs you, go to him. I promise you, every time there's something wrong in your heart, Jesus will come to you first. He will. He'll come to you first. If someone else has to come to you, it's because you never listened the first time. It's so easy to pick up a rock and judge somebody else. But Jesus said, I'm gonna, that's between her and me. It's got nothing to do with any of you. So drop your rock. It's so easy if we live in a culture of judgment and we live in a culture where we're looking for dirt rather than gold to pick up our rock in judgment rather than say, God, you've been so good to me. Thank you that the things that I've done in private, you've made a decision not to tell anybody else. It's just between you and me. Isn't that amazing?
Number five, I'll end with this. Number five, that we, in a culture, in a kingdom culture, that we, com- we do not compete. Is that the right way around? Yes, we complete one another. Everyone say complete, complete. not compete. We complete one another. We don't compete with each other. And that takes a heart that says, I've got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to lose. I don't have to prove anything to anyone because I am centered. I know that as we sung this morning, that I am loved, that he loves me, that I'm a child of the king. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the most high. By his stripes, I've been healed. By the shedding of his blood, my sins have been forgiven. And I can come boldly and confidently before his throne of grace. And together, we complete one another. We need one another. Psalm 133 says, How beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. For there, God commands a blessing. Can I suggest to you that where there's not unity, the opposite is also true, that God doesn't command a blessing. But there's a blessing when we complete one another rather than compete with one another. Because God loves unity. Remember, unity is not uniformity. Unity is the celebration of diversity. It's saying, hey, we're going to celebrate who you are rather than stumbling over who you're not. We're going to celebrate our differences. Now, I'm not talking about foundational things, really foundational things. I'm just talking about things. But we find a way to reach one another rather than just say, I'm right and you're wrong and cause a divide. The law of synergy is that one horse can pull seven tons and two horses can pull 27 tons. One horse will pull seven tons. Two horses will pull 27 tons. That's the law of synergy. Two are better than one. One will put 1,000 to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. There's something happens when we work together. When we say, I'm going to take my candle and I'm going to use it to light your candle rather than I'm going to blow out your candle so mine shines brighter. God hates that. What do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room? Use your power to empower somebody else. I love the story John Washko tells of somebody on his sales team that was scared to make a mistake and scared to make a mistake and scared to make a mistake. John called him in and sat, looked him in the eye and asked him why he was making a mistake. And then he gave him this, gave him this instruction. He says, right, what was the instruction, John? You have how, many, how much time? You have three months to make, three months to make a mistake. He said, if you don't make a mistake, then I will fire you. That's empowerment. It's, it's saying, hey, face your fears. That's what, this is what the, 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 in the, the guy with the talents, the servant, who God said, you, Jesus tells the story, you wicked, lazy servant. He hid his talent and exposed his fear. He should have buried his fear and exposed his talent. So what John was doing here is he was saying, I'm going to empower you to bury your fear because you're exposing it and you're hiding your talent. So I'm going to flip it around and cause you to go and take a risk. And when you take a risk, you will make a mistake. 
And if you don't make a mistake, then you're not going to produce anything. You're going to be like the, the wicked servant that hid his talent because he was afraid. And you will achieve nothing. Amen? So it's really important that we complete one another, that we work together. We work in team. I've talked about this before. If I haven't, I'm going to a message called the I Factor from Isaiah, where it's the conversation between God and Lucifer. I will ascend. I will. I will. We need to be careful of the I factor. Well, I can do this. I did this. I think this. I, 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 I. Be careful of the I factor. It's we. You know, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. We often misquote it and say, well, I have the mind of Christ. It does not say I have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. That's why we need one another and we need to be unified. In Acts, it says, and it sounded good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Had it sounded good to who? It sounded good to us and the Holy Spirit. The Council of Jerusalem, as they were talking, and they said, it's, this sounds good to us. This, and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Wisdom is found in the counsel of many. It's together, together we find the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, and we compete one another. You know, each one of us, we, com- we don't, we complete, we don't compete. We don't compete. If we compete, you know, some people are very competitive. Um, on all my profiles, I don't have competition anywhere. <laughs> well, I must do somewhere really low, but you cost a lot of money to find out what the lower ones are. But I find I compete with myself. I don't know if anyone knows what that's like, but I, I don't, I don't interestingly compete with other people, but with myself, I set myself these goals and sometimes they're unrealistic. And then I get disappointed that I haven't achieved the things that I wanted to achieve. Can I just say, just in closing, there's a danger in that. We need to be careful. That what's driving us is the grace of God, not us. That we're not just be driven by results. We're not just driven by things. We're not driven by performance. But that we allow people who can help complete us to speak into our life. You know, Proverbs 12 verse 1 says, He who hates correction is stupid. The Greek there is stew, pid, (laughs) stupid. You're stupid. You can read it for yourself. The Bible says you're stupid. If you don't heed correction, you are stupid. But ask people to speak into your life. I have people that regularly speak into my life, speak into my life. Give me three things right now. I said to Chris Vallotton on the last day, I said, I've spent a lot of time with you, Chris. Speak into my life. And oh boy, did he. I was like, okay, wow. Was that for the whole church or was that all on me? <laughs> and it was really painful. No discipline seems nice, seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, Hebrews says, it produces a harvest of righteousness. You know, I would encourage you, I'm going to talk about this tonight, to find people that will speak into your life. Say, could you speak into my life? You know, Proverbs says, it's, a, a man is a deep well that takes a man of understanding to draw him out. Sometimes you're the deep well, sometimes you're the man of understanding, and they switch like that. But when I be, hey, speak into my life. What could I do better? Learn to ask good questions. That when you're with, when you're with people that can help you, ask questions it's like, hey, how you doing? But man, when I'm with somebody, I'm going to go fishing. I want to know about this, and I want to know about this, and I want to know about this. And you know what? They've got so much gold in them. They'll just, they'll actually enjoy it being pulled out. When you were my age, what did you do? What do you think about this? How would you handle this? When you read this scripture, what do you think? 
How do you manage this in your life? How do you do this? How do you do that? What would you do that? What would you do in this situation? And, the, and it's just the gold. They just get fired up. Learn to pull. Learn to mine from different people. A man is a deep well. It takes a man of understanding to draw him out. Learn to draw out. You know, I took a, 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 another guy out for lunch with, with, uh, with Chris, and we just sat there. I mean, he, we could hardly even order our food. And he was just, he says, I love this. We're going to sit there and talk about the weather in England? Okay. All right, I'll finish with this story. This is a true story. Some of you have heard it before. This is about being driven and um, that we complete one another. We don't compete. Don't compete. Don't compete. Don't compete. The Bible says don't compare yourself one to another. Paul says it to the church. Don't do that. Don't do it. The Bible says don't do it. Don't do it. It's like looking. I wish I, I, wish I was more like that. I wish. I, yeah, but you're not. You be you. You be you. You be you. Okay. It was the story of Billy Graham and when he was a younger man and he'd fallen in love with this girl and he was dating her and he decided this is the woman he wanted to marry. And so he bought her a ring and he got down on one knee and he asked her to marry him and she said, I need to ask my dad. And she went home and the next day, her fa- this girl's father came with this girl and saw Billy Graham. And the father looked at Billy and he said, son, you may not give this wedding ring, engagement ring to my daughter because she's going to marry someone who's going to do something great with his life. And that's not you. And he gave the wedding ring, the engagement ring back to Billy Graham and Billy Graham went away sad and he, he said, God, I know I'm an evangelist and I know you've called me and I know I am going to do something great with my life. And in deep in his own heart, he said, I'll show you. I will prove that I can do something great. And he started leading people to the Lord and then he led bigger groups to the Lord and then bigger groups to the Lord and then bigger groups to the Lord. And one day he was having his quiet time and the Lord touched him deep in his own heart. And he said, son, what's driving you isn't me, it's you. And I just want to end with this morning, if you just can, just close your eyes. And, but what's driving you? What drives you? Is it the pleasure of other people? Is it the accolades of man? Because if we live by the accolades of man, then we will die by their criticism. But if we understand this morning that we have an audience of one, we have one person, we have a father that absolutely loves us. And if we will live before our king, if we'll live before our heavenly daddy, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he accepts us, knowing that what we said today, there is absolutely nothing you can do. Church, I want to let this sink in. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. He just loves you. He thinks you're fantastic. You're the apple of his eye. You are. Not the person next to you. You are. You really, really are. That's why we need to lift up our heads. That's why we need to realize that we're head. We are the head and not the tail. That's why we need to realize that shame, there's not shame on you. Some of you have lived with that your whole life. Shame on you. You're this and you're that. We have amazing people. Go and see Barb Reardon. She'll give you a, she'll, she'll hook you up for a sozo, which sozo is a Greek word. It's used 141 times in the New Testament. It means saved, healed, and delivered. 
And it's not counseling. It's a way of you and the Holy Spirit um, having an encounter with God, showing you lies that you've believed and picked up along the way. Each one of us picks up stuff along the way. We pick up baggage. We pick up things that aren't true. We pick up thought patterns. And God just wants to remove them all so that we can see him as he truly is. And he's an amazing, awesome, heavenly dad. And he absolutely loves us. Father, I just thank you for everyone in this room. Particularly, I just want to hone in on things that are driving us. Things that are not right, right, that are not right. Things that we've just got caught up in that have caused us just to pace and run faster than you. Today I ask, Lord, that we would learn the unforced rhythms of your grace, that we would learn to walk with you, we would learn to enjoy you, that we would live with a God consciousness, not a sin consciousness. I just speak to shame day. Shame is self-rejection, where shame has covered us, where we've worn shame, we've carried shame. Instead of shame on you, I just speak shame off you in the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. We know shame in this place. Father, I ask that you would find in this church a people that represent well the culture of you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I ask, Lord, as time goes on, that we would labor to that end in every sphere of life, not just church life, but in education, in sports, in media, in business, in the arts, every sphere of life that the culture of you, King Jesus, would permeate into every facet of life until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Time's